Welcome everyone. Welcome to satsang. <clears throat> I like to begin every satsang by quoting my guru, Baba Muktananda, who always said in Hindi, Sabko varasanmane kesat premse vidik swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. He would say that was the essence of spirituality, to welcome another with love. And uh, this week I found a, a, a poem by a, a medieval Persian poet who wrote this. He says, you will be asked, by what do you know God? You should answer, by that which descends on the heart. And then the poet writes, if this were false, everyone would be helpless. There is inside you a certain knowledge that if you could display, mankind would tremble like a branch agitated by the wind. Got that? You have that within you? <clears throat> Scary, don't uh, display it now, please. <laughs> this knowledge is the dazzling effulgence that shines on those who understand. So friend, see God in his servant and the servant in God. Say to man, do not look on the, the eternal one with the physical eye. Ask for another eye, the eye of the heart. How can he who does not know himself know God? The only true knowledge is knowledge of God. Great little poem. <clears throat> so tonight, as always, I, I draw on in these programs I draw on the wisdom of the great sages. Um, I always say that, the, that, the, that humanity's greatest resource is not the oil in the ground or uh, this and that and the other thing, but the great sages who've shown the path to the truth, the path to happiness, the path to peace. And these sages have always been there and will always be there. Um, when you don't know about them, you have no, uh, you don't come in touch with them. But if you get very lucky, then you make contact with them, and then your your heart and mind uh, gets illumined and enlightened and uh, uh, awakened by them. So tonight, because it was. Uh, uh, it was Girish's birthday the other day, so we're going to do Girish tonight. Oh no, the other guy on that birthday, also on August 15th, is Sri Aurobindo, <clears throat> one of India's great uh, and very interesting uh, sages. What else do you have by him? That was him as a young man. This is. Or Bindo, as an old man, close to the end of his life, uh, he died uh, in 1950 in South India at Pondicherry. Um, he was born in 1872 in Calcutta. <clears throat> Next, and around 1920, uh, Mira Alfasa, uh, a French woman, joined him and became his spiritual partner in the the mother of the ashram. And when he often talks about the mother, 
when he means the Divine Mother, he thinks of her as the embodiment of the Mother. So she became the Shakti to his Shiva. Oh, good. So let me tell you a little bit about his life very quickly. As I said, he was born in 1872. Uh, his father was uh, very into Western education, and so he sent uh, Orbendo to Cambridge. In, uh, in England, he got a classical education, very useful Latin and Greek, very practical. <laughs> and he got a bachelor's degree in classics. In those days, you could get a bachelor's degree in classics. Now people would look at you as though you were insane <laughs> to get something like that. <clears throat> Even an English degree is considered suspect these days. Sad. Uh, <clears throat> And then, uh, so he came back and he became political. It was uh, uh, the, uh, the fight for independence from England was raging in India. And he fought for the Indian independence uh, and he got in touch with, he came across a yogi who taught him meditation during this time. Some say he came across him in jail when he was jailed for his uh, seditious actions, he was uh, <clears throat> he led um, he led an uprising on the uh, on the uh, Congress in, uh, on January sixth, nineteen nineteen twenty, and um, there were many counts against him, and he finally went to jail. Uh, and he met a guru there, and he started to meditate. Uh, <laughs> And uh, that transformed him. He was, uh, had great aptitude for meditation, and he attained very high states and transformed his life. He turned from, uh, uh, somebody was telling me now, everyone says pivot to pivot. <laughs> That's only in the last year I've heard this. <clears throat> of course, I knew the word pivot, but uh, we pivot. He pivoted from politics to spirituality. <laughs> I wanted, I did really want to use it, you know. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, he went uh, to Pondicherry, uh, and uh, he started an ashram there. And uh, at some point, and then he started to meditate and teach and to write, and he wrote a massive work called the, the Divine Life, The Life Divine, which I'll, I'll quote a bit from. Uh, <clears throat> and then he became pretty much of a recluse after Mira Alfasa, called the mother of Pondicherry, came. Uh, she did all the work in the ashram, took care of the whole ashram, and he kept in his apartment. He was never seen, didn't come out except once or twice a year for special darshans. Um, and he was meditating intensely there. Uh, but he wrote this massive work called um, <clears throat> The Synthesis of Yoga. I'll read you a couple of bits from it. Uh, he says, this is summarizing his, uh, his approach to yoga. By the way, he's had a massive imp uh, uh, impact, so much so that in the West, nowadays there's a, a path called integral yoga, which is based on his work, and it's quite common. Anyway, he wrote, <clears throat> the assertion of a higher 
then the mental life is the whole foundation of Indian philosophy and its acquisition and organization is the real goal of all methods of yoga. So he's saying uh, a life beyond just the life of the mind. Because when I grew up, the life of the mind was considered the most noble, you know, life in the universities, the life of the mind. But he's saying higher than a mental life is the spiritual life. He says, mind is not the final goal of evolution, but like the body, it is an instrument. Mind and body are instruments of something greater. It is even so termed in the language of yoga, the inner instrument, antakarna. Uh, the mind is called the antakarna, the fourfold psychic instrument, or the inner instrument. It's instrumental, it serves the self, the higher truth, it serves consciousness. Another quote from the, the synthesis of yoga. We perceive then the three steps in nature. One, a bodily life, which is the basis of our existence here in the material world, so body. Two, a mental life into which we emerge and by which we raise the bodily to higher uses and enlarge it to a greater completeness. So body, mind, and finally three, spirit, a divine existence which is the goal of the other two and returns to help them to liberate themselves into the highest possibility. So this was his basic thing, an inter integration of body, mind, and spirit. <clears throat> um, one more, should I do one more of this? Also from the synthesis of yoga. He said, spirit is the crown of universal existence. Now, when I grew up, my parents didn't tell me spirit is the crown of your life. <clears throat> and what uh, um, uh, Brahmani was saying, uh, second education is the same as saying spirit, spirituality. Uh, life of the mind is first education. That's what we're educated. But beyond that, there's a second and higher education. He says, matter is the basis, mind is the link between the two. Spirit is that which is eternal. Mind and matter are its workings. Spirit is that which is concealed and has to be revealed. Do you like uh, your detective novels? Do you like to play hide and seek as a kid? There's something hidden, something hidden that has to be revealed. The whole of life is some kind of hide-and-seek game. So the truth of it has been hidden. The meaning of it has been hidden. We don't know why we're here. We have no clue. We have no idea. We take it, uh, all the platitudes that were shown on television and so on, that, that it's to make money or to be a success, whatever the heck we think, procreate. This is what we think uh, life is about. But so the, the truth of it is concealed, it's hidden, but it does exist. The sages are those who have found it and revealed it. <clears throat> I forgot to start my clock, so I get an extra 10 minutes. Where <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> uh, I get? Spirit is that which is concealed. Mind and body are the means by which it seeks to reveal itself. So there's a yoga of the body, of the yoga, 
the yoga of the mind, wisdom, yana yoga, a yoga of emotion, the heart, devotional yoga, and beyond them all is the goal of that yoga, which is spirit or consciousness. He says, spirit is the image of the Lord of yoga. Mind and body are the means, the method, the upaya. He has provi <coughs> provided for reproducing that image in phenomenal existence. All nature, this is interesting, this is what it means by integral yoga, which is uh, Darwinian in a sense, uh, evolutionary. You know, Darwin uh, said that all of nature is moving towards some goal. And then after him, after he talked about that, but he, he stopped short of saying that there was a divine goal that it was. He made it all very natural, by natural selection, by kind of physical means. And then you had other thinkers, like uh, there was a, an English thinker named Spencer, who talked about all consciousness ever evolving. And then there was Teilhard de Chardin, the, the Christian uh, thinker, who said that all of life is evolving towards spirit. And I think that Shaivism would ag agree with that, essentially, that all of life is a movement from the lower to the higher. And it, because it's so slow and so fitful, and sometimes we go up and then we go down, have you ever gotten very high and then crashed and burned? Never, huh? Never happened to you. <clears throat> and so, uh, but this is the general movement. So he says that this is the way the world is working. Um, all nature is an attempt at a progressive revelation of the concealed truth, a more and more successful reproduction of the divine image. So it's hard to see that when things in the world seem so screwy and darkened and it's saying, though, that there is a movement towards the revelation of the divine. If you look too hard right now, in detail you don't see it, but if you look at the big picture, this is happening. I think it's a beautiful conception. And the uh, scriptures say the same thing. They say that God spins the world out and throws us all out of himself into the darkness, and then we grope our way back and eventually return to the source over many years, many lifetimes. And so this is Aurobindo's uh, point of view. <clears throat> so now, um, some question answers. I, I told you he, he was a recluse, um, but what did he do in his room? Well, he had Foxtel, no doubt. He had Netflix, no doubt. <clears throat> but the rest of the time, he wrote letters to his devotees. They couldn't see him, so they, and they didn't have email or texting, so they wrote him letters. What? TikTok? Yes, they had that. So um, <clears throat> so anyway, he, they wrote him letters about yoga, and he wrote long answers, 
and uh, they've been collected in many volumes, and they're really interesting about different aspects of yoga. So these are the questions that he wrote back to his, his disciples. Uh, they don't give you the question, they just give you the answer. But you can figure out what the question is. The first one, uh, I think, uh, the person's asking or complaining. A lot of times the questions are complaints. Uh, complaining that nothing seems to be happening. <clears throat> so Warbindo says, oh, that, that, he, that he says, I'll get into a, a quiet space in my meditation, but nothing's happening. I'm not having experiences. <clears throat> so Warbindo says, Remember first that an inner quietude caused by the purification of the restless mind and vital is the first condition of a secure sadhana. So the first thing is to become peaceful and to get over all the agitation, the vital, our desire nature, our dissatisfaction, our depression, our hunger for this and that, and our restlessness, discontented. And he says, remember next that to feel the mother's presence while in external action is already a great step and that one, and one that cannot be attained without a considerable inner progress. So I guess the person also said that I can't feel what we call the shakti when I do my life, when I do my ordinary life. I'm not in touch with the spiritual energy, I lose touch with it. And he's saying, <clears throat> that's a very great attainment to be in touch with the Shakti during your, your mundane, the mundane dealings. He says, uh, probably what you feel you need so much but cannot define <clears throat> is a constant and vivid sense of the mother's force working in you, descending from above and taking possession of the different planes of your being. Translation, saying what you're, what you're asking for when you say nothing's happening, you're really not asking for you know, inner fireworks to see this light and that light, but to have a, a, con a, a constant connection with the divine energy to that uplifting experience of the divine. We call it Shakti, uh, presence, the self. It's, he says, this is what, really, what you really want. He says, these things can take a long time to begin visibly, and especially when the mind is accustomed to being very active and has not the habit of mental silence. The more active and agitated and obsessed our minds are, the more we're cut off from the inner experience. Our mind's just rattling around and we can't get in touch with it. But Aurobindo's saying, you know, if you could still your mind somewhat, you would get in touch with a level of experience that you never dreamed of. And that experience is the self, is the inner energy. He says, when that veiling activity is there, when mind's agitated, that's the veiling activity, much work has to be carried on behind the mobile screen of the mind, and the seeker thinks nothing is happening when really much preparation is being done. So saying, 
If your mind's very agitated, you're not aware of it. But the energy, the kundalini energy, the divine force is still working in you. Once the awakening <clears throat> takes place, even without you knowing it, stuff is going on behind the scenes. It just hasn't bubbled to the surface yet. Why is that? Because you, your mind, you haven't controlled your mind, quieted your mind. So you're not aware of it, but it's still going on. If you want a more, he said, well, if you want a more swift and visible progress, yes, we do. <clears throat> What's he going to say? If you want to speed it up, interesting how he puts it. It is only by bringing your psychic to the front through a constant self-offering. Psychic, we can translate as the self, to bring the self forward. If our mind's constantly in the mundane, I want this, I want that, I don't want this, I don't want that, he said this, he said that, blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> then we don't do it. So, but we have to get in touch with the higher by a constant self-offering. He says, aspire intensely, but without impatience. So two things that are opposite. Aspire to that connection, but without impatience. Because if you aspire too stridently, you give it away. So you have to aspire, but peacefully. It sounds very difficult, doesn't it? But that's a dharana. <clears throat> I'd like to write down what I think a dharana is. Dharanas mean we could meditate on. That's the way to read a scripture, is to use it as dharanas. It means just don't read it for the ideas. Screw the ideas. Now, I'm being harsh. Ideas are good. Ideas are helpful. But to really enter into the, the meaning of a scripture, you have to assimilate it spiritually. So let's take this idea. He says, aspire intensely but without impatience. So let's meditate on that. Let's do a dharana. It means a short meditation. So go inside and aspire to, for, to the self, however you frame it. Aspire towards the higher experience, towards the shakti. Aspire towards love. Aspire towards peace. Aspire towards joy. And just be in that state <coughs> intensely but without impatience, just for uh, 30 seconds. Aspire to something higher. Okay. I'm sure not, not two of us did it the same way. Because there's an inner knowing. <clears throat> okay, that's one. Next one. See, these are very much the nitty-gritty of, of sadhana or spiritual practice. They're all asking him. They're not asking him philosophical questions, generally. They're asking him about how they can uh, meditate better and get in touch with the self, something higher. <clears throat> the next one... 
uh, I'm, I worked out that the seeker is saying he, that he or she can't quiet the mind. I hear that a lot. I myself said that many times. <clears throat> he says, Orbindo says, let us not exaggerate anything. It's not so much getting rid of mental activity as converting it into the right thing. <clears throat> so I don't get into a war with the mind. Move the mind in the right direction. Krishna Prem has mental activity, but it is a mind that has gone inside and sees things from there, an intuitive mind. Krishna Prem is uh, somebody that that uh, I read when I was in the ashram. He was uh, a Westerner, I think he was a teacher. I think he might have been a teacher of English, maybe. But he came to India, and he became a yogi, and he had a little ashram somewhere in the Himalayas, and he, he wrote some very, very good books on yoga. So he's using him as an example. He goes on, I have mental activity, or bindo, rare for him to talk about himself this way. <clears throat> I have mental activity in the midst of silence whenever necessary. So he basically has a basic silence, but he can use his mind when it's necessary. Everyone has to use their minds sometime or other. <clears throat> but it is a mind that has gone up and sees things from above, an overmind action. So his mind's no longer a contracted mind, but has an expanded vision. What has to be surpassed and changed is the kind of mind that sees things from outside using analysis and reason. To get to the inner and higher mind, the old mental activity has to become a little quiet. It doesn't mean you become an imbecile. It means you actually become smarter. Your mind is not just running around chasing its tail. In the quiet, in the stillness, your mind becomes highly intuitive and deeply insightful. He says, a quiet mind does not involve itself in its thoughts or run away with them. <clears throat> it stands back, detaches itself, lets them pass without identifying itself, without making them its own. It becomes the witness mind, watching the thoughts when necessary, but able to turn away from them and receive from within and from above. So we, we are battered by the mind. We run after its narratives. We run this way, we run that way. They're saying that a yogi really becomes detached. Baba would say, don't pay much attention to those thoughts. He says, become detached, become the witness, see it from a distance. Um, <clears throat> and then when you can do that, then you can receive from the higher source, from above or from within, however you conceive it. He goes on, silence is good, but absolute silence is not indispensable, at least at this stage. So don't have to worry about blocking out your thoughts. Don't get into a war with the mind where you try to get rid of all its thoughts. I do not know that to wrestle with the mind and to make it quiet is of much use. Usually the mind gets the better of that game. I discovered that early in my meditations. 
that I had a little bit of success in quieting the mind, and then the mind beat the hell out of me. Beat me up terribly. <clears throat> so I thought, it has to be a more subtle approach to this. I can't overpower it. It is a standing back, detaching itself, getting the power to, uh, getting the power to listen to something else other than the thoughts of the external mind that is the easier way. Inside your head, inside your mind, there are your mundane thoughts, but there is also the still voice of the self. The voice of the self. And if we can quiet or not pay attention to all this, we get in touch with this deeper resonance, this deeper layer, which is palpable, just as real as your thoughts, but deeper. And that layer is a, a layer of energy and of peace and of joy and of love. If we get in touch with that, then we're transformed. He says, at the same time, one can look up, as it were, imagining to oneself the forces there just above and calling it down or quietly expecting its help. He always says, call down this power. Baba would probably say, uh, find the power within yourself. But he also looked to the guru and drew the power that way. So we'll come back, that's a dharana. We'll come back to that. That is how most people do it, till the mind falls gradually quiet or silent of itself, or else silence begins to descend from above. But it's important not to allow depression or despair to come in because there is no immediate success. That can only make things difficult and stop any progress from happening. I was always impressed. He always uh, emphasized, don't let depression or despair get to you. Because when you practice yoga, and then some bad tendency comes up, you've been practicing for a long time, you think you're getting somewhere, and then suddenly you're filled with rage or jealousy or depression, and you just hate yourself, and you think, what have I been doing? I haven't obtained anything. He's saying, don't let that depression happen. Stuff happens. Things come up. Even after years of meditation. So don't give way to despair. Know that in the end you'll triumph. If you keep it going, if you keep your practice going, be steady. Don't turn away from it. Don't run away from it. Keep it going. You're bound to get to the goal. That's why he says, let's do this dharna. <clears throat> you can look up, as it were, imagining to oneself the force as they're just above and calling it down or quietly expecting its help. The higher force, the kundalini shakti, the guru's power, the divine power, the power of consciousness, the power of love, however you conceive it, think of it as just above, above your head and call it down. This is an act of imagination, but do that. See what happens.
Okay. Be able to, how many were able to call down little, even a soup song, a small bit of, of something? Yeah? Okay. <clears throat> Good one. How are we doing? One more? Yeah, I think one more. Okay, this one, uh, the seeker is complaining that he gets into the silence. Can you relate to any of this stuff? Yeah? That means you've been meditating. He gets in there, but then when he gets silent, then these thoughts rush in. <clears throat> so, so Aurobindo says, It is not an undesirable thing for the mind to fall silent, to be free from thoughts and still. For it is most often when the mind falls silent that there's a full descent of a wide peace from above, and in that wide tranquility, the realization of the silent self above the mind spread out in its vastness everywhere. <laughs> so you can see that he's always, his metaphor is always of something above he's pulling down what he's always talking about. And I often think it wouldn't surprise you to think that I think of my guru. And I, I think of uh, orienting in that way and, and uh, feeling his grace from there. But really, that power is neither up nor down or in anyone, but it's inside and it's everywhere. And so whichever way makes sense for you, you can call on it. Your intentionality is what's important. If you intend to call on a higher power, you'll be able to do that. But you have to try it. You have to try it, work on it. You can't say, I can't do it if you never try it. You have to work on that, and you'll get results. <clears throat> Patanjali said, yoga or meditation is to still the thought waves of the mind. But the essence of it is to quiet the mind. So that's what he's talking about. And Morbin says, when there is peace and mental silence, the vital mind tries to rush in and occupies the place, or else the mechanical mind tries to raise up for the same purpose its round of trivial and habitual thoughts. So what does that mean? It means you're sitting in silence, you're trying to meditate, and suddenly all the things you want come up, the desire. Or else trivial stuff, like I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do that, seeing the doctor then, I've got to do that, I have to go shopping for this. <clears throat> so, so that's the uh, mechanical mind, and the other is the vital mind. They rush in, as soon as you try to meditate. Isn't that true? As soon as you try to meditate, I'm going to meditate on the self, Om Namah Shivaya, I'm going to be quiet, mind certainly get quiet. Oh, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I want this, I want that, I hate this, I hate that, that person, I hate that person, that person's disgusting, what are they saying? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> so, he says, what the seeker has to do is to be careful to reject and hush these outsiders. <clears throat> so that during meditation, 
at least. The peace and quietude of the mind and vital may be complete. So tell them to shut up while you're meditating. <clears throat> the mind and vital, your desire nature. This can be done best if you keep a strong and silent will. Remember what he said in the other one. A strong and silent will. You have to develop your will. Will is an emotional thing that moves in a certain direction. That will is the will of the self beyond the mind. And when the mind is at peace, when it is silent, one can become aware of the self. Silent also, separate from the action of the nature. So if you can keep a steady will, being present, being open, being quiet, then you get in touch with this higher energy. <clears throat> to be calm and steady, fixed in the spirit, this is quietude of the mind. This is separation of the inner purusha from the outer prakriti from the inner world, from the outer world. It's very helpful, almost indispensable. As long as one is subject to the whirl of thoughts or the turmoil of desire, one cannot be calm and fixed in the spirit. To detach oneself, to stand back from them, to feel them separate from oneself is indispensable. So one has to learn to quiet the mind. Great technique for quieting the mind that Baba gave was the mantra. Mantra is a very simple technique. By repeating the mantra, the mind becomes still. Or you can practice it without it by simply doing some of these practices. <clears throat> for the discovery of true individuality, two things are necessary. First, to be conscious of the self behind the heart. And next, Separation of the Purusha from the Prakriti. So to separate your being from your world, from all the dramas and, and desires of your world, to just be with your own self. For the true individual is behind, veiled by the activities of the outer nature. So this is what he's saying. So we'll do a dharana, we'll meditate. Um, How do we do with that? This is, a, this is a, a, a great yogi who's meditated a lot. Medi used to meditate hours and hours every day. And he also is a great intellectual, great thinker. And he expressed it the best way he could. And the basic thing that he's saying is that we're caught up in the externals of life, the prakriti all the stuff that happens, our desires, our fears, our dramas, all that stuff. And when we're caught up in that, we can't go deeper. It blocks us from going deeper. And yet the potential is there within every person. There's a glorious potential of spirit. Great love, great joy, great peace. There's potential within us. You see, in our modern world, people are terribly agitated, full of stress, full of rage, full of paranoia, all these things. And that's because they've 
They, they have no tools for dealing. They get caught up in the external life and the pressures of modern uh, society. They watch TikTok all day <laughs> and because they become deranged. And because that, they don't realize the treasure that's within. <clears throat> so the great yogis, they've been saying it for millennia and they will continue to say it for millennia, is that we turn within and we look to the spirit and we quiet our vital tendencies, our mind, our intellectual, our thoughts, our worries, we can get in touch with this deep level. We call it here in the ashram the shakti, when you get in touch with spiritual energy. So there are two ways to go here. One is go direct to the shakti and have an experience of that energy or to quiet the mind, detach from the mind, and after you detach from the mind, that shakti will show itself. So let's meditate now. We'll meditate for 10 minutes. <clears throat> Turn within, and you should have every confidence, every faith, that just as this exists within Aurobindo or Bhagwan Nityananda, this possibility exists within you. 100% it exists within you. Now you can't expect to attain it without making a little effort. If you want to become a great athlete, you have to train. If you want to become a great scholar, you have to study. And so to become a great yogi, which gives great rewards because it has rewards of happiness, joy, peace, love, harmony, balance, you have to give it a little attention. You have to meditate. Meditate on the self. Not You don't meditate on the mind. You detach from the mind. Let the mind be over there. Watch it from a distance. And meditate on the source, on the self, on consciousness. And we'll do that for 10 minutes. Once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Sakuna. Maharaj ki